Good afternoon and welcome to the Healthy Indoors live show. I'm your host, Bob Krell. I'm the publisher and founder of Healthy Indoors magazine. And thanks for joining us uh, this Thursday. Uh, today's topic um, is one we haven't, you know, we covered a little bit. Uh, we talked about chemicals and cleaners in the indoor environment uh, quite, quite a few months back. Uh, so we're, we're revisiting that topic, but today with a special focus on probiotic cleaners. And uh, with us today as our guest is Graham Marsh. He's the managing director of Z Bioscience. So let me actually bring you in here, Graham. There you go. Welcome. Hey, hi, Bob. How are you? Good to see I, you. You know, man. I'm doing well yourself. Ah, man, looks that every day you're on the right side of the grass is a great day <laughs> when you get to a certain so, point in life. So, so well. where where are you right now? Because I know you you do uh, you live on the West Coast, but sometimes you're in you have spent time in Hawaii and you live there for a while, right? Yes. In the that, past, no, I uh, yeah, I've lived uh, a lot of different places. So, uh, but no, uh, I now live in um, San Clemente, uh, Southern California, between Irvine and and uh, San Diego, which was Richard Nixon's hometown and during his tenure was known as the uh, western white house so uh, yeah it's it's great great little quiet coastal town pretty much uh, relatively undiscovered in terms of the southern californian coast nice nice well we've known each other for a while um you've uh, you're you're one of the uh organizations and one of the people that has been out uh champion championing I, I can never say that word for some reason uh you know uh probiotic uh, cleaners and, and products in, in the environment so um, I, I guess I'm gonna, we're going to jump right into, you know, right into the hardline uh, questions. So let me just see if I can pull one up for the screen. So uh, I guess before I go any further, let me also uh, make an announcement to our, our audiences out there. Because we have two different places we have audiences. Uh, some of you are uh, part of our virtual audience. Uh, online studio audience in our Zoom meeting right now. So to those of you, um, we'll be opening up uh, the uh, uh, opportunity for you to ask questions of Graham and myself um, after about uh, 1.30 today. So that, that by all means right now, uh, post things in the chat, in the, uh, in the Vimeo chat, excuse me, in the Zoom chat. This is where it gets confusing, Graham. Um, but there's many people that are probably watching us from different portals because we live stream to Facebook, we live stream to YouTube, and most importantly, we live stream to our Healthy Endurers uh, online global community. So um, there we have a, a chat line open as well. So uh, we have to multitask here and look at multiple monitors. So that's, that's, my, that's my duty. So yeah, okay, that was a that was a long drawn out, um, whatever. So first question, Graham. Uh, past eighteen months, right? We've we've been dealing with uh, you know this pandemic, and there's been a massive increase in the use of sanitizers and disinfectants, right? Uh, you know, so how, you know, what is what are some of the things that you're seeing that we're maybe not cognizant of or appreciating about the fact that maybe there's been this carte blanche use of spraying biocides everywhere? Bob, uh, I think probably the, the thing that most struck me was there's been a loss of the clear differentiation between a sanitizer and, and a disinfectant. Um, and if we use the, the healthcare industry as a clear standard, right, a disinfectant has what they call a six log kill rate, which is a 99.9999% stated kill rate. Um, and Anything less than that, 
down to sort of from a 99.999 to a 99.9% kill rate is an actual fact of sanitizer. And so there's been this sort of loss of the understanding of what is the difference between a sanitizer and a disinfectant. And, and the reason that's important is that if you basically go to the science and you look at the average replication rate for a pathogen bacteria, right, as being 21 minutes, they tend to range between 18 to 24 is the vast range is where the vast majority of pathogens fit into. If you take that mean, that middle rate of 21, if you've got a million pathogens sitting on a surface, and that sounds a lot, but it's absolutely minor, and you've got 99.9% kill rate, a three log kill rate, then what happens is that at the average replication rate, that remaining pathogen community that is left, so out of the million, you're left with a thousand, it will replicate within three, it will, um, it will basically uh, take three and a half hours uh, under ideal conditions to basically that 1,000 to replicate back to the 1,000. And if you even go to a disinfectant level, if you've got the million, you're left with one. And what happens is that within seven hours, that one can replicate back to the million. So you're left with this very interesting question of, you know, is the surface that I'm sanitizing and disinfecting actually going to be, if I do it at night and I'm preparing for people to come into a facility the next morning, is it going to be as clean and as safe the next morning as it is immediately after you basically sanitize and disinfected? And the answer is basically no. Right? And there's a couple of things that are important about this because you're making some very basic assumptions here, right? that you're actually applying it according to label. And there are two aspects about applying things to label that people often don't do. I mean, look, I mean, most of us, our, our members of our family have got a can of Lysol or something like that underneath the kitchen counter. And you basically see them pull it out and they spray it and then they wipe and they think they've done the disinfection or the sanitization of it. But if you read the label, it says, first of all, clean the surface, right? And, and, they don't. They're just using it as a cleaner, right? And secondly, it says, by the way, for it to reach that stated kill rate on the label, you know, you need to keep it wet and on the surface for anywhere between generally two minutes and, and 10, depending with on the chemical, and what that chemical, not just water that you yeah. need to have it wetted with that chemical for that right. prescribed time. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, you these sort of replication rates and that that I just described are based on one, you are cleaning the surface first to remove the surface soils, which is critically important. What a lot of people don't realize is these disinfectants and sanitizers are highly reactive chemicals. And so if you don't remove the surface soil, what happens is the chemicals will start to react to the surface soils. So they end up being depleted in terms of their overall effectiveness and capacity before they even get to anywhere where a germ is. So, you know, the bottom line is you've got to clean it first and then you've got to put it down and leave it down for how long they say. And most people don't do it. So as I look at all of this insane sort of disinfection that's gone around, um, I find it really, you know, quite disturbing because, you know, those sort of products, they're hard on the surfaces a lot of the time. If you look at the pH, they're, they're not exactly, yeah. They're <laughs> so, not benign. Yeah. No. 
definitely. That's that's one of the best phrases I've heard about describing that. Um, and and the other thing is that they, you know, once they dry out, this is an important part. They're useless, right? They stop working. It's a bit like if you've got a car with, you know, be it a battery operated electric car or internal combustion gasoline operated car, once the battery is run down and run out or the tank is out of gas, that's it. You're not going anywhere. Right? You're stuck. So what happens is once the disinfectant or sanitizer has dried out, it's like you've got an empty tank or a rundown battery. You're not going to go anywhere. There's no ongoing residual surface cleaning or protection. And so I found it really interesting talking to some of these facility managers who were basically going in and they were doing the deep cleaning and then they were doing the fogging of the, the spraying of the disinfectants and sanitizers. And they were like, right, well, that's it. This place is safe. And I'm going, no, it isn't. And they went, what do you mean? I said, well, you're in an HVAC environment. So you've got lots of air coming around. Right, right around you right now, what you don't realize is there's probably a couple of trillion friends at the microbial level floating around that you have no idea that you actually ever had. And they're immediately going to settle on those surfaces, right? In some level of, of, of accumulation that I can't really properly articulate. But once they start to basically land on those surfaces, they're going to want to attach and then they form a biofilm and then they basically start to replicate. And I said, the bottom line is, you know, I go back to the figures that I mentioned at the beginning here. You know, if, if it's a disinfectant, you know, the one will basically replicate back to the million or has the capacity to replicate back to the million in seven hours. Okay. And so alarmingly fast. Yeah. And, <laughs> and these people are like, well, why am I doing this? Right. And I went, good point. Because you see, the other aspect is, and Daryl Hicks um, really has been one of the best proponents of this, is he points out that disinfectants and sanitizers don't get rid of biofilm. And, and most people don't fully understand biofilm, but when a, when a pathogen arrives on a surface, first thing it wants to do is attach. And it basically excretes a, what they call a extracellular polymeric substance on it. And, and they basically, it sort of covers the area and it, it's, it's both their anchor to the surface and it is also their protective coating. And it's very porous. And, and so over time, they take over a surface and more and more land on top of one level of biofilm and basically create another level. And so it becomes a multi-tiered porous matrix of protective housing and the disinfectants and sanitizers don't get rid of it. It's one of the reasons we have so many hospital acquired infection issues, right? I mean, it's almost like with hospital acquired infections, it's like as if a jumbo 747 crashed every day in just this country alone and killed all the occupants. And yet somehow or other, we, we like to try and, you know, sort of ignore that because they just don't know how to deal with it. Well, the I mean, you think about the cleaning procedure rate in most healthcare, even if, it, and some are using the, the two-step, which alarms me too, where they use, uh, a combination of uh, quaternary ammonium compound type cleaner, right? And or followed by or preceded by a sodium hypochlorite, right? A bleach solution. And they tend, and they like to use both because that was the whole thing to try to combat C. diff and different types of things in the indoor environment because the microbes, of course, have been becoming more and more resilient to this process. So, so that was, you know, I've, I've had facility managers saying how, you know, they're using both of those. I'm like, yeah, except you've got chemical interactions between those products. You can't put them on the same surface without thoroughly rinsing or, you know, like, and 
it, it was it, the interesting thing I just need to point to this is this one facility was only having issues in the ER and they were using the same process in patient rooms when they do turnovers, but there's a big time interval between people going into the room. So they were doing the one cleaning process or a cleaning process, the I mean, there's a surfactant too, so they're calling it cleaning. Yeah. You know, it's, it's you know, so they they would do, and I, I don't remember the order, but you know, using either so, sodium hypochlorite and then use the other. But there was sufficient time between them for it to dry and dissipate. But in the ER, the fast turnover, they're hitting it and they're coming right in, and hit with the other chemical right behind it. Yeah, you know, I mean, and you know, within a few minutes, maybe six minutes later, floor still wet, whatever, and they're already they're already striking it with the other chemical. And that's just dangerous to mix chemicals. Oh, yeah. It was all these respiratory issues at this facility. The the entire custodial staff was getting, and the ER staff was getting sick. Well, there was a report that came out a couple of uh, years ago where, uh, and I think the figure was roughly something like 20, 25% of hospital staff who are constantly exposed over an extended period of time, and I think it was 10 years, uh, to areas that are consistently disinfected have a 20%, 25% greater propensity for COPD. Right. Uh, And that's just from basically breathing it in. But you raise a very important point here, two of them, actually. Right. Um, And and actually three. Um, Wow, that was that was a well, well well-placed comment, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So um, one of the, the, the core mantra of any disinfection has been clean, rinse and disinfect. And the important thing is everyone's trying to do things faster. So they skip the rinse. Right. As much as they can. And then they decided, oh, well, why don't we combine the cleaning product with the disinfection product, make it one step? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the core mantras of, of the cleaning industry has always been cleaners tend to make lousy disinfectants, disinfectants tend to make lousy cleaners, and disinfectant cleaners do the worst job of both. And it makes sense because you're still not getting rid of the surface soil before you actually put the chemicals. So the chemicals are going to end up reacting to that um, surface soil and basically therefore become less effective. But here's the interesting thing is if we go back to uh, a six log kill rate and, and one out of the million is left, there's a very high propensity that that one survivor is basically going to be have some form of mutation that enabled its survivability against the disinfectant. And it's going to be pissed. Yes, and, and this it will entire, you know, no, I'm, I'm saying, you know, I'm saying it being facetious, but the fact is, it seems like the resilience increases every time we treat services. Things tend to get, you know, the and ones that survive tend to be. There's a reason why they're surviving. Exactly, and when I first came into this space around about 11 years ago, we were on fifth generation quaternary ammoniums. Well, now we're on seventh. Right. And, and the reason is we're having to constantly refine the chemistry and make it a little bit more toxic to make it more as, you know, keep up with the efficacy. But it's sort of a, you know, a, like a, a dog chasing the bus that it can't catch. So anyway, but the biofilm is one of the more important aspects of this. And, and people go, well, what is biofilm? So I want to give everybody here a bit of an image as to what biofilm is in their everyday life. So if we go to the standard dish, let's assume you don't have a dishwasher, right? big assumption these days, I know, but um, I grew up with that one. And so what happens is you take the, you finish your meal, you take the plate, you put the scraps in the garbage can or the dog's bowl, right? Then you basically go, you rinse off the heavy uh, leftovers, uh, you reach for the dawn or the palm olive, and you basically rinse it all off and then mm-hmm. and, and get all the dirt off. And, and, and then you rinse off the soap and you now have a smooth porcelain ceramic surface that's clean. But you can't put it in the cupboard because water is hanging on it. 
you sit there and you look at that water hanging on the surface, right? Why is water hanging on a clean, smooth ceramic porcelain surface? And, and the answer is that's the biofilm, right? And you've got to put it in the dish rack, either to let it dry naturally, let the water evaporate, or you basically get the dish towel and try and dry it off and then put it in the cupboard. But the reason the water's hanging to that surface is actually the biofilm. And, and one very experienced mechanical engineer once told me um, a few years back that what people often mistake to be surface tension is an actual fact biofilm. And so interesting. Put, it, yeah. I haven't heard that before. So to put all of that into some sort of context, that's where you're at. And then you've got, as I said, the mutation. And then you've got this whole issue of the toxicity, right? Which we've touched on with the increased propensity of COPD and, and healthcare staff. But then there's the whole sustainability. And, and the sustainability thing really bugs me, right? Um, partly because it's one of the fluffiest terms that I've ever seen in my life, right? It's really quite good. But what's interesting about the, the thing about sustainability is we've all looked at it in terms of the environment. But that's fine. And I think that's important. And I'm not demeaning that or, or belittling it or trying to reduce its, its importance. But it is only one side of the coin. The flip side of the coin is what is the performance sustainability, particularly if it's something that you are doing day in and day out? So if you have an opportunity to use a product that will provide ongoing residual surface cleaning and ongoing residual protection versus a product that is useless once it dries out, then the performance sustainability of the former product is absolutely critically important because you're going to end up using less of it and it's going to be more effective and it's going to be doing the job better. So if I wrapped all this around to bring all of this to a conclusion to your core question, sanitizers and disinfectants disturb me for all the reasons we've mentioned. And I sum it up in terms of their lack of performance sustainability. Once they're dry, they're done. No ongoing surface action, no ongoing surface cleaning. They've damaged the surface possibly because of their pH, right? And, and they tend to be unhealthy for occupants in excessive use. Uh, and therefore, by default, they have to probably be not so environmentally sustainable. Um, and that is really important, right? And, and, and the one thing yeah. is, by the way, the label claim of a six log kill rate is based on tests that are uh, done in labs in the absence of biofilm. So right. given there, that there are clean are, surfaces, the tests yes. are being probably done on, they're starting out with a sterile clean surface, inoculating it and then getting the yes. kill. Right. So given that biofilm is the one reason that, you know, you know disinfectant sanitizers don't get rid of it. And they basically, biofilm ends up protecting those bugs, right? What happens is if you're doing a test for your label claim, in an environment that is basically sterile versus a real world environment with a biofilm, then all those label claims are totally irrelevant to the application in the real world that you're doing. So it's, it's like two different worlds, right? And so that is adds to the, the sustainability in terms of performance issue as well, right? I mean, you're being given a false percept as to what really can do. And they have to be done in a sterile environment because biofilms are very difficult sometimes to actually replicate in a consistent manner. So the only way the EPA can do it, right? And I, I could 
go into a lot that this brings us down to the question then what products will continue to work wet or dry and provide ongoing surface residual cleaning action and ongoing surface protection and and actually also have a potential to basically dismantle the biofilm and that's the reason i got involved with probiotic cleaners because they'll do that so so the, the follow-up question to that and i'm going to read it off the screen here so i can read it properly is uh what are probiotic cleaners, right? And, and how, why, you know, how, how are these such a different shift for us? You know, what, com, compared to what the con, conventional cleaning procedures, like you said, there's most, if consumer level, most consumers using products that are both cleaners and some sort of antimicrobial or some sort of a sanitizer, right? Mm -hmm. Usually a surfactant, a detergent mixed in with something that's an active ingredient that kills microbes of some sort. Right. Well, it works. We've grown up in a chemical world, all right? Um, and so the underlying precept that most people have grown up with is the only good bug is a dead bug, right? And yet, at the same time, let's go back and, and look what's happened in the last 20 to 25 years, right? We've started to consume for our own individual health foods and supplements that are rich in safe, beneficial probiotic bacteria, right? And the idea is that we are consciously, mindfully bioengineering our gut, our whole internal intestinal operation, so that it is dominated with the best possible bacteria. Look, I mean, Jessica Green, um, uh, who is a PhD from uh, University of Oregon. She basically uh, ran a, a center for, bio, uh, for the indoor microbiome. And it's now basically merged with two other divisions or institutes at University of Oregon to be part of the Institute of the Health of the Built Environment. In 2013, she gave a TED talk, not one of the full 18 minute ones. This is one you can actually go look, it's only about eight minutes, but because she's so clear and direct. But she said, we're all covered with, with germs. Why don't we basically design to address that and to, 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 to deal with that? And what she really came around and started saying is that every one of these, um, every one of us has got a microbial community inside us and on us. Mm -hmm. And every surface in every building has a microbiological ecosystem. So why don't we start actually looking at that as being a fact of life and start to work with it rather than trying to work against it. And this was really the very early stages of the concept of bioengineering versus biological elimination, right? For all the reasons I just explained about disinfectants and sanitizers, biological elimination does not work, right? I mean, as Einstein once said, you know, to do the same thing over and over again and expect a, a different result is the definition of insanity. And he also turned around and said that, by the way, you don't solve a problem with the same consciousness that created it. And so hmm. with probiotic cleaners, we are moving from a pure chemistry only attempt at improving facility hygiene and, and well-being to an actual fact basically creating a biological solution to a biological problem. Mm -hmm. And the principle of it is sci scientific principle is known as competitive exclusion. And that is basically where if you've got two species, unwanted pathogens, 
and, and safe, beneficial probiotics, right? Competing in an environment for the same resources. And, and, and in this case, on a surface, it's, it's microscopic food sources. And, and it's an actual fact, the ability to even just have access to that surface. Then one of them is going to basically dominate and the other won't. So probiotic cleaners basically combine, and, and by the way, all probiotic cleaners are not the same, but a really top quality uh, probiotic cleaner should be EPA safer choice delivery surfactants mixed with FDA GRAS, generally recognized the safe schedule probiotics. So, and, and that in itself by definition will be also need to be a pH neutral product. So it's going to be safe for every moisture. So and, 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 and elaborate a little on what role each of those play, the surfactant versus the probiotic in, in the process. Okay. So by mixing the two of them together, right, what you're looking to do is you are going to do a cleaning process aimed at soil removal that will leave behind an abundance of safe, beneficial probiotics that will overwhelm the surface. So you remove the surface soils. And then you basically are leaving behind the probiotics. And what do the probiotics do? Now, probiotics are basically a living organism. All right. And, and the way I sort of describe them a little bit, it's a bit like, you know, I had three teenage kids when they and their friends would turn up to the house, the, the door would burst open. There was no, hi, how are you, Mr. Marsh or Uncle Graham? It was straight to the fridge, straight to the pantry, uh, because the, all they wanted to do was eat. Right. And if I didn't have enough food, they'd huddle and decide whose place they were going to go to next. <laughs> right. But probiotics are sort of like that. They hit the surface and that's all they want to do is eat. And as they eat, they actually produce and excrete what we call a biosurfactant. And a biosurfactant is nothing but a fancy term for a natural soap. We've been using them in the remediation for oil and gas uh, contamination in soils and waters for decades, right? And they're basically soaps made by the probiotics. And, and they will also comprise a, a, an enzyme, but there's a lot more to it than just the enzyme. And as they, those soaps break down the surface contaminants, they release additional food sources. And those additional food sources then are basically consumed by the probiotics. So you've got this ongoing mm -hmm. virtuous cycle. And until the food source is basically depleted, they'll keep on basically working. And here's something they'll do. Hmm. Just like the kids that would basically raid my place and then decide they needed more and go to, the, to somebody else, some other parent's place, uh, the probiotics will move across the surface in a constant search for a food source. And they'll work whether it's wet or dry. So it's a bit like with the probiotic cleaner, not only are you removing good quality of surface soils, right? And a good, a good probiotic cleaner should probably, basically in terms of the surfactant, remove at least 90% at, at least of the surface soils, right? Some of the ones that are around at the moment I know have been tested and they remove 95.2%, which basically it puts them in the top tier of cleaners. But the removing the surface soils, basically then you are left with the probiotics and then they just start to continue to eat and break down. And, and that's one of the reasons they're very good at odors, right? Um, because you see in that eating and breaking down, what the, they're breaking down is effectively the, the, the biofilm, right? Biofilm tends to be made up of protein junctions that are holding sticks or, or threads of a polysaccharide together. Well, the probiotics will basically eat the, the protein junction 
which causes a dismantling of all the polysaccharide uh, strands, and it starts to collapse. And the biosurfactants basically start to break down the polysaccharides, releasing more food for them to eat. And so very quickly, the biofilm disappears. Right? And, um, you know, and it's not just for surfaces, like, like in the everyday household and your floors and your kitchen counters and your restrooms and that, but also for your HVAC coils, right? And in uh, cooling towers, which of course, massive sources. Uh, yeah, massive biofilm issues, massive issues with dealing with Legionella in, oh. in cooling coils in those environments. Because again, you try to shock them with chlorine, but if they're embedded in biofilm, not so effectively. Well, here's one of the things. So um, there's a guy called uh, Dr. Nick Ashfold. Ashbolt, former, a fellow Australian, by the way. I've got to wave the flag on that one. He was for seven years the head of waterborne pathogen research at the EPA, and now he's the head of the environmental sciences division at the uh, University of uh, Alberta. But he's probably one of the leading experts in Legionella and uh, wrote uh, the foundational papers on the role of biofilm, Legionella, and amoeba. Right, And the idea was that the, bio, the Legionella float on the top layers of the biofilm uh, as it's being done, as it's being built. And the amoeba come and they eat those uh, Legionella uh, or consume them or absorb them. And once the Legionella are in a amoeba, it is the perfect replication vector, transportation vector and protective vector. And so what really happens is that all of a sudden, once they're in there, they can rapidly replicate to the point that they actually burst or lice the, 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 the amoeba. But by that time, they've been transported a bit further down the waterline. And, and, and if you are doing hyperchlorination and hypertemperature, right, the, many of the amoeba will survive. So if you're a Legionella and an amoeba during something like that, you'll survive. So, and, and then you go to the fact that like disinfectants don't really, in actual fact, I, uh, bleach being a classic example, don't get rid of biofilm. Here's the, here's the irony. When you hyperchlorinate uh, 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 an internal premise infrastructure for water uh, with a view of getting rid of the biofilm, what actually happens is that hyperchlorination causes the biofilm to an actual form, uh, form a hard crust on the surface, which basically then protects the lower, all the pathogens, including the Legionella, and the lower levels of the biofilm. That are embedded in that layers down, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden, it's, 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 it's become self-defeating. And if we go back to the 2015 sort of, you know, Legionella outbreak in New York, and, oh, look, clean every cooling tower on that. Within four to five months, every cooling tower that had been cleaned was back producing positive for Legionella. Sure. And, and the reason is because those systems don't work. Right. So if you can address the presence of the biofilm, you basically deplete the means by which the Legionella can exist in the, uh, uh, the infrastructure. And therefore, there's nothing there for the amoeba. So it becomes a very interesting structure. But that's but, you know, and that's just on Legionella. But if you look at coils, what most people don't realize is HVAC coils. Biofilm is the, by far the greatest impediment to the thermal transfer efficiency of any heat exchange surface. On the Way fence, basically, right? Calcification. So if you can clean the coils using a probiotic cleaner, right? And because they're pH neutral, you can put them on and leave them. I, I know of a number of contractors now that basically they turn up to a coil and they'll basically put a probiotic cleaner on the coil and they'll leave it there. Just let the airflow provide the, um, uh, the ongoing sort of uh, physical agitation. And then they'll come back and basically blow through um, with a mechanical process a week later. 
right? In the meantime, of course, the coil's all foaming up and there's bubbles, and, but you can see huge drumps, dumps of detritus in the drain pan. It's really quite fascinating. So, you know, yeah, as, these, as opposed to the conventional coil cleaners, right, where you're either using either some sort of a, a very low or high pH, you know, it's usually one way or the other, and they're fairly destructive to the aluminum and the coils. Oh, yes. They, they will shorten the equipment life cycle. And because they don't really get rid of the biofilm, um, they basically, in actual fact, you know, sort of don't really maximize the improvement in the thermal transfer efficiency of the unit. And therefore, they don't really reduce the, the energy costs as much as possible because they're still struggling to hit set points in an optimal manner. So it's a really, it, it, as I say, so to come back to that core question, what we're doing with probiotic cleaners is you're basically delivering a biological solution that will work whether wet or dry, can basically dismantle microfilms of a biological contamination on surfaces, um, and basically are not going to be harmful to any moisture tolerant surface because they're pH neutral. And so you start to look at all of that. That's that's the really important thing. I mean, it's that ongoing cleaning. It's that uh, uh, that whole that aspect of it's really important. But here are two other important parts from internal um, uh, surface uh, or indoor cleaning. The probiotics, when they're left on the surface, because they're put down, they should be put down in very good abundance. They overwhelm the surface and the pathogens are basically starved out of a food source. And basically they can't repopulate the surface. I mean, um, one of the guys behind the organosilane polymers, right, um, from Dow Chemical, once said to me, he said, you know, I love your approach of probiotic cleaners. I said, why? He said, because when they're on the surface, they are making that surface hostile and inhospitable to the free floating pathogens ever repopulating the surface. So as long as the probiotics are on the surface, they're actually providing a barrier of protection against repopulation from uh, pathogens, which once the disinfectants or sanitizers have dried out, there's nothing to stop them. They just come straight back down. Right? And so he said it was, it's the most elegant biological solution to a biological problem. Uh, and this is going back at the Healthcare Surfaces Summit a few years ago. And the I, probiotics are somewhat self-limiting, right, Graham? Because, I mean, yes. when they run out of nutrient source, then they expire as well, yes, correct? they just die. I yeah. mean, just like my kids would say, there's no food, I'm dying. Exactly <laughs> um, right. But no, once, once they've exhausted the food source on the surface, right, then they just, they just expire. And, and, and so... When you, if you look at it as a systematic approach, all right, so if you are constantly cleaning an indoor environment with probiotic cleaners, right, what you are effectively doing is you are creating a whole biological environment where you are constantly bioengineering the surfaces. So not only are they cleaned through surfactant so soil removal, but biologically, they are also continuing to clean the surface as if there's billions of microscopic custodians, janitorial EBS staff sitting on the surfaces. And as long as that food source is there, then they'll basically also provide surface protection. So it's a systematic approach. But there's one great advantage about this that most people don't realize. It's the transmission, the transference of the probiotics. So when we talk about cleaning, Everybody sits there and they go, wow, uh, yeah, we've got to disinfect all the high-touch surfaces. So why are you disinfecting high-touch surfaces? 
oh, well, they're the main means by people touching a surface will move an unwanted pathogen from A to B. So the bottom line of it is the same pathways that unwanted pathogens move throughout an indoor environment are also exactly the same pathways that beneficial safe probiotics can. So if you are cleaning a whole indoor environment with probiotic cleaners, you are basically bioengineering all the surfaces to be dominated by safe, beneficial probiotics. So let me give you an example. I go to the restroom, right? Um, I lift the toilet seat because I'm a considerate guy, right? And then I basically- You were taught well. You were taught well by your wife. Yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. And, and my daughter. I don't know who was worse, right? And then you put the toilet seat back down. You flush the handle. Now, if the toilet seat and the flush handle are cleaned with probiotics, I'm getting probiotics on my hand. Right. And then I go out to the sink and I basically turn on the faucet. Right. And it's been cleaned also with probiotics. And so I then basically wash my hands. I'm probably going to kill the probiotics with the soap on my hands or, or, or diminish them. I rinse that off. But then if the door handle, the push plate on the bathroom door has also been cleaned with probiotics, I'm basically picking probiotics up again. And then I go and I sit back at my desk. And, and so as you can sort of see, the very fears that we have about pathogen transmission through high touch surfaces can be completely reversed if we in actual fact clean with probiotic cleaners so that they're all dominated by the very same sorts of probiotics, bacteria that are beneficial to us that we take as supplements or that we look to try mm -hmm. and get through our food. So it's, it's a living thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen steps in a poultry processing plant, right, where what they did was they basically started using a probiotic cleaner in the auto scrubbing of a turkey processing plant. So lots of chicken fat on the floor, right? Ugh. And they would do it twice a day at the end of each 12 hour shift, right? Well, there were three steps, wooden steps at this facility going from the production line floor up to where the rec room and restroom and lockers all were for the, the line workers. They had never, no, no water scrubber cleans, you know, steps, right? <laughs> and so the floor started to look really clean, but the steps were still black, except after three weeks, the probiotics left on the floor were being tracked onto the stairs and started to clean moon type cycles where the majority of the footwork would go on the stairs. After three weeks, they had clean stairs, in that area where most of the foot traffic was because the probiotics were being they were transferred to those surfaces to the surfaces. Um, that's, that's a fascinating concept. Um, and again, it's, you know, I think it, it's getting along the lines of trying to get an environment, not sterile, not free of microbial activity, but getting it back to a normal, normal biological balance. Right. Honestly, because yes. they're, they're the, the total absence of microbes in an area is not normal. Yeah, no, it isn't. It's, 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 it's unnatural. It's unsustainable. Coming back to the point of sustainability, mm -hmm. right? And more importantly, um, it's unhealthy because what we've come to realize, and one of the reasons we take probiotic supplements or wheat foods that will promote the probiotics and, and prebiotics in our body is that we realize that we need in our environment, inside and out, beneficial bacteria, right? And if you look at, think of it like concentric circles. So if you take yourself, the individual as the center circle, right? And you are basically bioengineering your surfaces, your gut to make you healthier. 
And we live 90% of our time in indoor environments. And so the indoor environments in which we live is the next concentric circle out. What we do in maintaining our environment needs to be totally supportive of what we're trying to do to our own selves. So cleaning the surfaces and in our indoor environments with probiotic cleaners right, basically provides that symbiotic relationship between the two and basically becomes more supportive for our health. There's nothing terribly supportive about the poisons that are in, in, in you know, sort of uh, the conventional chemistry kill only agents, right? And, and for that reason, I mean, not only is, is a probiotic clean is better for the surfaces and, and I think therefore create a safer environment for occupants. And, and, and most importantly, everybody forgets this. What about the poor people that are having to apply this stuff all mm -hmm. the time? Right. Well, especially when you're when you're aerosolizing it and blowing it around and probably not wearing the proper protective gear to be operating with those products. Exactly. So probiotic cleaners actually, I think, provide a much better public health environment. Right. And, and uh, then than does any of the conventional chemistries. Makes and sense. I come back to that. It, I come back to that whole idea of the sustainability uh, and, and look at the performance sustainability. A product that will keep on cleaning, keep on providing protection and everything else like that is, is, is huge. And, you know, also one of the ways you can actually tell is odors disappear, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you can exclude a pathogen bacteria, one of the biggest sources of odor, right? I mean, why do you go to the fridge and, and the first thing you do is you pick up the meat or the fish and you smell it. You, you're wanting to know whether there's, it's been dominated by the unwanted pathogens, whereas to, therefore is it safe to eat, right? Um, in our indoor environments, most of the odors are caused by, by pathogens, right? And if you can basically address the presence of pathogens by overwhelming them and displacing them very quickly. And by the way, when you do that, there's no risk of mutation because under the concept of competitive exclusion, where you're putting down more probiotics than there are pathogens and then altering the environment, the pathogens are basically being starved of a food source. They're, 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 it's overwhelmed. It's like my kids hitting the fridge with all their friends and I've got nothing to eat, right? I've got to go to Costco, right? So, so your suggestion, it doesn't, you're suggesting that it doesn't necessarily prompt those, uh, those organisms to have uh, evolutionary change. No, they just die of starvation because nothing has ever been able to survive no living entity has been able to survive in the absence of food, right? Um, and so effectively you're starving out the, the unwanted pathogens. And it therefore, you know, it, I think the thing to look at it is we've been with chemistry addressing a symptomatic component of a living biological infrastructure environment. But when you use probiotic cleaners, you are twisting and altering that biological ecosystem. Just like, for instance, nobody, there was no town hall meeting where everybody said, let's get our pitchforks and spears and whatever and go and kill the dinosaurs, right? <laughs> the, the atmosphere changed and the vegetation changed and the dinosaurs basically died of extinction, right? That's effectively what probiotics are doing to the surfaces. And it's it's a whole system. You're altering the entire biological ecosystem. So it's dominated by the good guys, right? I mean, one of my friends who's in marketing turned around and said, oh, probiotic cleaners. Hmm. 
oh, you're the good bug guys, right? <laughs> thought, there you go. That's, that, that, and that's, that's one way to look at it. So we're going to take, uh, take this opportunity to take some questions from our yeah. audience. Um, if uh, you're in the virtual studio audience in the Zoom meeting, uh, use the raise hand button down in your reactions uh, button at the lower part of your screen. You can hit that, raise your hand. Uh, Susan uh, Valenti, who is our moderator, uh, will uh, recognize you and will get you up on camera if you'd like to ask the question personally. Uh, I've got also a question in from the uh, online community over at the Healthy Indoors Global Community. Uh, the question here is, are probiotic cleaning products listed on an approved EPA list? The answer is no. And here's a very good reason why. They don't need to be. Let's go back and understand what EPA registration is all about. EPA registration is about the fact that you've got something toxic, poisonous, hazardous in the product. And therefore, under FIFRA, you basically need to have the EPA go through and basically approve the fact that one, it's uh, all, all your SDS sheets are fine, but also that the instructions on the uh, label are in accordance and adequate for the sort of toxicity and the poisonous nature of the products. Probiotic cleaners, as I said, basically should comprise of EPA safer choice chemistry for the surfactant component, which means there is nothing in those surfactants to be registered. And the FDA generally recognized as safe schedule probiotics, which means that they require no cautionary statement for um, use uh, in, in any application. Now, here's what's important, right? People make the confusion. They think that EPA registration is a sign of safety. Quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's an actual fact, a sign of hazardness. Let's not forget. It was only a couple of decades ago that all the chemicals that we have EPA registration on also had a skull and crossbones on them. But the marketing people of the disinfectant and chemistry uh, cleaning companies went, oh, people see that and they go, oh, I don't want that. Uh, so they basically convinced the EPA and other regulatory environments that to get rid of the skull and crossbones and let's just have some small print that nobody will read. But the bottom line is probiotics are so safe, they do not require. EPA registration. EPA registration should be a warning to you that there is something dangerous in the product. Well, it's it's also. I mean, the nuance here is you're also like you're you're claiming these are cleaners, and cleaners by nature are not part of the FIFRA registration process. You're you're not you're, you're not saying you're you're not claiming a pesticidal effect. Yes. So right, We're not so we, we don't. You're a cleaner, just like no other clean. You know, no other cleaners are. You know, uh, right. you know, your ivory soap isn't isn't listed as a fit for requirement either. No, exactly. And and Bob, yeah. I come back to the dinosaur aspect. Nothing in our product kills bugs, right? What our products do is they alter the environment. There's no toxic kill. It's basically sort of an altering of the environment. Um, and the environment is unsustainable for the pathogens. So we don't kill anything, right? And that's where healthcare, uh, of, you know, people in infection prevention and control sort of go, the first thing they'd say to us is, oh, well, what's your kill rate? Well, we don't have one. And they'd look at you as like as if you're an alien that's just walked off a ship. Well, yeah, because they're looking for a six-log kill in a yeah. healthcare environment. And, and then, then they sort of say, well, what's your EPA registration? We don't have one because we don't need one. It's so safe. And, and by this point, you know, they're like short circuiting because this is completely off their radar. And I think that largely is because, you know, the, the lawyers tend to run the, the show because you've got to stick with the regulations. So regulations are a, a bit of a problem in terms of healthcare. We don't. 
So I'm, I'm going to read a question from the audience, uh, from our virtual audience. Let's see, this, this is a little bit long, so I'll, I'll just put it mm -hmm. here. Uh, so this is a basic question for those uh, of us ignorant of probiotic cleaners. Can probiotic uh, species mutate into pathogenic species under any real world conditions? How do we know that, that a probiotic species, if consumed or breathed in, are compatible with our body's uh, microbiomes? That's an interesting question. Well, okay, and it is, it's a good question. The, the short answer is no. Probiotics do not mutate into pathogens and vice versa, right? They're two different species. You don't see an elephant mutating into a cat um, is the way I would sort of describe it or a fish mutating into, you know, sort of a, a tree climbing monkey. So the bottom line of it is no, that doesn't happen. Um, and in terms of, the uh, the second part of the question, Bob was. Oh, let me let me scroll back to it. I apologize. No, no, uh, I. I'm yeah. Um, second part was how do we know that if the probiotic species, uh, if consumed or breathed in, are compatible with our body's uh, existing microbiomes? Okay, so if uh, if if the probiotics used are listed on the FDA's generally recognized as safe schedule, it basically means that they're safe for human use. All right. And they can be consumed. Um, they can be basically uh, used in food processing. They can be. Yeah, yeah. So they don't require a cautionary statement because they're so used, so safe. So that's why having an understanding that they probiotics in a probiotic cleaner, a GRAS schedule uh, is very important. So um, while we're waiting on some other questions, perhaps from the uh, online audience here, um, I've got one that uh, we put up here. What changes uh, would cleaning professionals have to make to shift from conventional chemistry cleaners to uh, probiotic type cleaners? Virtually none, right? Same protocols, same equipment. All you're doing is substituting one product for the other. Okay. Probably the one thing you'd want to do is... Um, Anything that has a chemical residue from the disinfectants uh, or sanitizers, which could compromise the presence of the probiotics or their, their efficacy, would either need to be swapped out like a mop head um, or thoroughly cleaned and rinsed uh, so there was no chemical residue, such as like the inside of an auto scrubber uh, or the actual mop bucket. Um, you might want to, in actual fact, you know, sort of get different uh, or new trigger spray bottles but if you basically rinse them out thoroughly and run water through the the, the line uh, then you can start using probiotic cleaners with them but it's exactly the same protocols same processes same equipment interesting so um i mean the, the mindset i mean probiotic products have been around for a bit it's not like it's something that just you know newly introduced i mean you, you've been involved in this for how long quite quite a while uh, right? actually it scared me the other day i'm coming up to 11 years wow time really flies it does <laughs> you know horrifyingly yeah we, we probably met yeah, 11 years that would yeah we, yeah. we met not long after that, probably when you got, no, when you made the entry no. into this industry at some <laughs> convention, um, was, which leads to another question. Um, you, you know, as far as what's the role of, uh, you mentioned this a little, but what's the role of uh, using probiotic type products uh, in HVAC system, you know, for okay. indoor air quality purposes and HVAC? Okay. So um, the primary uh, area has been cleaning coils, right? Um, and, you, you and I know a number of the contractors around that have been using probiotic cleaners now for a number of years. And, and, and really, 
they've been innovating it quite substantially. They've been basically finding that because it's pH neutral, they can go and put it on the coils. It'll break things down and they're reducing the amount of time in a restorative protocol, right? Uh, for when they come in and apply a mechanical agitation. Sometimes they've found that they haven't, right? Uh, needed to do that. Um, just leaving product on the coils has uh, the feedback that I've had from different facilities managers has been things like, oh, yeah, we've seen a, 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 an inch drop in static pressure. Um, in fact, actually, the CFM throughput through the coil suddenly increased dramatically to the point that even in some of them, they've been able to dial back the chilled water valve um, from you know 90% to 55%. Uh, and in some instances, the increase in the airflow sort of shocked them a little bit because they were hitting set points sooner um, and at the same time needed to get uh, tab engineers to come in and basically rebalance the system because also there'd been obviously changes in the indoor environment. Well, um, that's because there's so much biomass accumulated in the coils, right? I mean, that's yes. basically what, what it is. I mean, it's debris. Some of it is probably benign debris, but a lot of it's biomass. And that's that, that whole musty odor that comes out of AC coils when they fire up too. Right. So here's what's interesting. How do you make a biofilm in a lab? You drip water on a surface. So what's the coil doing? It's stripping the moisture out of the air, right? So that you don't get moist air running down the duct, right? And, and therefore run the risk of mold forming in it. So what happens is that therefore that moisture accumulates on the fins, the actual coil loop and, and, and the drain pan and becomes a, a problem. But they've also been used for cooling towers and um, one of the contractors really came up with a very innovative idea is after he'd finished cleaning the cooling tower and reconnected them to the system, he started putting a non-surfactant concentrated uh, product of nothing but aqueous probiotics into the drain pan so that it would go down through part of the chiller unit. And the facility manager who'd been looking after that facility for 17 years turned around and said, I don't know what you did, but he said two things I've noticed. He said, after you clean the cooling tower and put that stuff into the drain pan, I took out of the five cooling towers on this building, right, over 2,000 wet pounds of detritus that was turning up in 10 days in the drain pan because the probiotics were releasing everything. And it was basically 28 floors from the rooftop cooling towers to the chillers in the basement. Um, so there was quite a bit of area there. But he said, I, I, it just filled up the straight. All of a sudden, stuff just started to release. He said, as a result, he said, the chillers have never run better than they are now in the 17 years that I've been running this facility. And then he did the ultimate insult to the, to the, to the contractor. He said, you could have charged me double and I'd be happy. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but, and then again, that's because of the accumulated biomass, right? Yes. Yeah. Interesting. That's, that's we have another right. question from the audience. Um, uh, can you, uh, can Graham explain uh, what are biosurfactants and what are their role in commercial cleaning? Okay. So a biosurfactant is effectively a soap or a cleaning agent that is produced by a biological entity. In other words, like a microbe, a bacteria. Um, and they all vary, right? I mean, there's different species of, 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 of uh, probiotics that basically produce different types of biosurfactants. Um, and as a result, what happens is that the um, biosurfactants comprise a liquid with an often with an enzyme and some form of uh, a, a surfactant quality to it that will basically break it down. And so, yeah, uh, in terms of oil spills and soils and, and, and in the oceans or in waterways, 
biosurfactants, uh, particularly developed by the uh, the Japanese, basically understood that yeah, that would basically break down the oil spills uh, in the soils and and that and remediate it naturally without adding another toxicity to it. Okay, uh, we we had uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, this is an this is really an interesting area, uh, you know, because I think like you mentioned earlier in the conversation, Graham, we've become a society in my lifetime, right? And you know, like my sixty years, where we've really gotten very um, chemistry focused, but anti antimicrobial has become a big term. Mm -hmm. Right. You want to have the antimicrobial soaps. You want to have all these things. And, and I just think there's uh, there, there's still there's probably a, a lot of bias, consumer level bias, people believing you need that. Yes. And, and look, think of things as a pendulum. You're right. We've gone to the extreme of antimicrobial. But at the same time, we're now starting to see it swing back to being antichemical. Right. And there's a balance in all of this right? right i mean i think if you go totally anti-chemical you, you know there's we need chemicals for things yeah and I, what really amazes me people go oh, i'm not using chemicals i'm using vinegar well what do you think vinegar is right it's an acid <laughs> yeah exactly and water is a chemical yeah. right um and so the, the important thing is is horses for courses all right i mean people ask me where does a probiotic cleaner fit into a disinfection protocol well disinfection protocol is first clean. So use a really good probiotic cleaner and basically clean away the surface soils so that the, the, the disinfectant can be as effective as it can be. Now, in those big office areas where they were cleaning eight, 10,000 square feet, you know, per floor at a time, right? And, and all guys dressed up, you know, sometimes it'd be six hours when they were doing the deep cleaning, you know, sort of two feet to, to six feet above the surface, right? Of the floor, right? between when they started their area and finished their area. Well, if you're using the probiotic cleaner, it keeps on working and working on those surfaces until you apply the disinfectant. So it's actually going to help not only remove the surface soils, but break down the biofilm. So then the disinfectant's the most effective it's going to ever be, right? When they come and apply that. But then once the disinfectant's dried out, well, I'm left with no surface protection, no surface action because it's killed the probiotics. I mean, they're- Because right, it's, it's an antimicrobial product that's killed Right. microbes in theory if it especially if it's a six log kill it's an actual disinfectant it did kill everything yeah most so everything. then you're left with the situation of how do you protect so one of the products that's out there in the market right um which is one of the ones our company does make is is a aqueous solution of probiotics with virtually no surfactant in it that you fog right and the reason you want to fog it is because you're trying to do the whole area not specifically you're repopulating an entire area and this will get to areas that have never been wet wiped wet mopped or disinfected right and then all the area just then becomes populated again with a protective barrier of probiotics and so a clean and a disinfect so clean with the probiotics, do the disinfection, and then do a fogging of a non-surfactant-based aqueous solution of probiotics to provide the ongoing surface protection. Um, so that's where it fits into a disinfectant protocol. And that's where you work with the chemicals. Because, look, federal reg many regulatory agencies say wherever there's a bodily spill, you need to have a disinfectant. So urine, feces, vomit, spit, blood, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and, and it, you've got to do that. You, you, you're not going to change that. Right, not not least in possibly our lifetime. But the important thing is clean first, so that then the disinfectant can be properly, uh, you know, uh, uh, can be the most effective it can be, and then afterwards, how do you provide a level of protection? 
and you put that down. Uh, put down the some you either reclean quickly with a light bit of the probiotic cleaner. Um, and that's why floors are actually very interesting. Floors are the largest transmission surface of any pathogen in any indoor environment, right? And, and you can't disinfect floors because we know once it's dried out, it's useless, et cetera. But the probiotics, going back to that example that I highlighted in terms of the poultry plant, those probiotics will constantly move around. They'll clean the shoes, they'll clean everything. And, and, and so, you know, it's a systematic approach. That's the difference between a biological cleaning approach versus a straight chemistry. It's a it's clearly a paradigm shift, no no question about it. So I'm going to ask you to uh, give us some final thoughts. Uh, but first, I want to uh, take a little mention on uh, an event that we're involved with coming up uh, in November. It's the Healthy Buildings America 2021 conference in Honolulu, Hawaii, uh, November 9th through 11th. Uh, it's uh, part of the Healthy Building series from ISIAC, the International Society of Indoor Air Quality and Climate. And the host organization for this event in Hawaii is Siri, the uh, Cleaning Industry uh, Research Institute. Uh, they're actually the host. And th the premise of this uh, conference and the concept behind it is bridging the gap between research and practice. So unlike most, I, I could say most ISIAC events, this particular event is uh, is aimed at actually bringing researchers and practitioners like consultants and even potentially contractors of so people that work in the industry and the various uh, indoor environmental sectors together for dialogue and information exchange. So uh, it's, a, it's a great idea. We're, uh, we're one of the uh, sponsors. We're actually the platinum media sponsor of the event. Um, so we'll be there. Um, I, and I think it's a great uh, opportunity for people to uh, get together and have a, have an excuse to take a trip to Hawaii too. I mean, yeah. well, know, given that I lived there for eight years and my cell phone is still an 808 uh, area code. Uh, see, there you go. I have to tell you, this is, it wasn't on my schedule, but right now it's starting to get to the top. <laughs> See, right? I mean, it's, a, well, I mean, it, it, the thing is, I think there's been a, you know, maybe some people were concerned when it first came out. It's like, me too. I actually made some comments going, oh, it's too expensive to go to Hawaii. Well, actually coming off the pandemic, it's actually not that expensive. The airfare is, is less probably than it's been in history. <laughs> To yeah, get, to no. go there. So this no, is not a bad I, time. You know, sign up soon, though. You know, take advantage of low airfares. Don't wait till November. They won't be that low then, probably. Yeah. Um. So, Graham, closing thoughts. Um. You know, we we ran out of time quicker than I wanted to, as always. But, um, <laughs> it, this was great. You and I should do this in a at a bar and and entertain people when we do it. We well, yeah, we and we clearly could. Well, that's why you you missed our Tuesday night show. Uh, once a month, third Tuesday of the month, we do uh the Healthy Indoors After Hour Show. So it runs from seven uh to eight thirty p.m. Eastern time. So it's a night show, and uh and the premise is that it's everybody hanging out in the bar at the end of a day at a conference. So we actually you know are drinking live on air and you know we're in a I more of a like pub that. environment and it's really kind of disjoint conversation is what it is. <laughs> it's really not structured at all. So you have well, to check that out. We'll, we'll bring on that someday. So well, so closing thoughts. Um yeah, I think the, the, the probiotic cleaners have been around for well over a decade now. Um they have proved their efficacy in numerous areas. Uh, particularly agricultural livestock. The irony for me is that we can basically improve the survivability and the health of livestock in hog barns and poultry barns that are all destined for, for death row and, and therefore our plate. Um, but, you know, sort of the, the healthcare industry has sort of been very reluctant to, to, to look at it. Um, 
but they've been around and, and the results have been consistent. They're demonstrable, um, uh, be it in HVAC, be it in commercial cleaning, um, schools, you know, healthcare, I mean, uh, assisted living facilities, uh, very important in transport. So uh, the thing is, they've been around long enough that warrants serious consideration for inclusion in any cleaning um, environment and protocol uh, and, and, and system. So um, I think that's it. I mean, it is a, you're right, it's a paradigm shift and we're bringing the pendulum back from excessive use of mm -hmm. chemistries, right? To a balance where we're taking safe chemistry and working with safe biology to provide a complete solution. Makes total sense. Makes total sense. Um, well, well, you know, this is a, this is a conversation that I think we can continue to expand on. Um, those of you who uh, have actually been tuning in to us on the Healthy Doors online community, um, we have a an actual comment area, not the chat, but the actual comments that stay there indefinitely with the uh, recording of the broadcast. And this is also going to be available as a. Uh, 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 pod, audio podcast as well. So uh, our our home ship for Healthy Indoors is healthyindoors.com, which is where we really have everything, all of our back information, our, our issues, back issues of the magazine, um, as well as uh, access to our uh, online global community. But you can get to all of, we're, we're coming up, uh, as Susan would like me to point out, uh, we're just a, about a week away from our uh, eighth year anniversary, which is crazy. They grow up oh, so wow. fast. Um, so we'll, we'll be there soon. Um, so our August issue actually will represent the beginning of uh, eight years in doing this. Wow. But, congratulations. Uh, I know, right. It's crazy, isn't it? Uh, but the healthy indoors community, just so you know, like this is where some of you are watching the stream, you know, uh, actually there's, 30 seconds behind, but it's so much more than just a place where you can uh, see our, our assets. Uh, the Healthy Indoors uh, global community is indeed a, uh, a networking and uh, sharing and information opportunity uh, site. That's, and that's really what we're building at. We're more concerned about getting people from around the world uh, from the various silos and sectors in the indoor environmental industry to give them that opportunity to uh, uh, actually uh, network and communicate. So it's, it's, Stay tuned, but you know, definitely uh, look into signing up for it because it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Uh, we're really excited about it. Excellent. Well, I mean, and congratulations, eight years. I mean, this has been a great service that you've been providing because to be quite honest, uh, uh, the way I see it, uh, Bob, is that, um, you know, it's these sorts of venues that actually are much easier for people to access and then to come back and refer to as a way of getting, you know, up to um, date you know, game-changing, cutting-edge sort of information on, on different aspects of what we're all seeking to do, and that's making our environment cleaner. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, this is, uh, it's been an honor to be able to participate here. And again, I appreciate you, you inviting it, and I hope that everything that provided here today or what I've shared, albeit somewhat enthusiastically, I didn't have a Batman shirt, but. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know what possessed me to actually wear the Batman shirt. I, I was, you know, working earlier this morning and had it on and, you know, showtime came up and suddenly I decided not to do the wardrobe change to another black t-shirt. I mean, like I, I always wear a black t-shirt, so there's nothing new there. Um, oh yeah. So let's put it out next week. So next Thursday, um, our, our, Guest for next week's show, uh, 1 o'clock next Thursday, Carl Grimes from Hayward Score. Uh, Carl's been around in the industry uh, an awful long time. Uh, he started as a consumer advocate. He's uh, been in the consulting side and, you know, uh, 
served on numerous positions, past president of IAQA at one point, uh, involved heavily with ISIAC. So, you know, Carl, Carl will be an interesting uh, interesting guest next week as well. So definitely stay tuned. Um, and also we need to plug, uh, we have another show, uh, Monday. Um, we produce a show now for ISIAC and the Indoor Environmental Quality Global Alliance, IEQGA. The show is called Indoor Environments, um, Global, uh, Global Research to Action. I really watch that up because I never written down. Uh, but it's a great show. So it's a one hour uh, uh, show each month. Uh, next Monday, 11 a.m., it'll be available on the Healthy Indoors Global Online Community. We'll be pushing it all over our portal so you people, uh, you know, can find it. Uh, this this month's uh, guest on that show will be Dr. David Krause. Uh, so and he's been a regular on these shows, too. So it'll, it'll I think it'll be a great show for you to uh, catch into. <laughs> Thank so, you. yeah, here it is. Well, Graham, thanks again for taking time out of your schedule to be here with us. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting topic. Uh, yeah, it's good information. You know, that I think a lot of people may not be that well versed uh, with uh, probiotics and what, you know, what the benefits they could uh, offer are. So this well, is great. Well, I hope it's been of help to the community you're servicing there. And as I say, I do think they're at a point now they're proven, they've been around, they've been consistent in their performance. And I think they uh, are worthy of serious consideration as part of any particular uh, uh, cleaning environment, um, you know, facility, any part of a facility, actually. So, yeah. So, Bob, thanks as always. It's, it's always great to, to, to catch up with you. Um, I know. And- we usually have nice conversations. We just don't usually do it in front of the whole world. No, no, we don't. Um, but you know, next time we're at a bar, we filtered a little. <laughs> next time, next time we're at a conference together, we'll we'll let everybody know, and then they can see the real us. There you go. Well, or, or we'll bring you on the uh, after hour show because that show we kind of pretty much unleash on. It's it's, it's you know it, the language changes, everything changes a little. The demeanor definitely changes on that show. It's it has entertainment uh, at least equal to information. <laughs> That's actually worthwhile. I'll, I will be right there. right there. Right, it's it's worth right. it for that reason alone. Yeah. No, mate, so I guess uh, it's 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 time to actually uh, pull the Say plug adios. on another uh, episode. <laughs> Yeah, I always hate doing it. It's like, you know, get into it and you feel like you don't want to end the show. Well, maybe that's just me. Maybe the rest of you out in the audience are. It's like that Jackson Brown song, Won't You Please Stay Just a Little Bit Longer. Yeah, it is like that. <laughs> I think it's more like closing time by Sunday. <laughs> I think people want us out. So uh, with that, um, until next week, we'll see you next Thursday for the Healthy Indoors live show. And Monday, definitely uh, stop by the Healthy Indoors global community to see the Indoor Environment Show. Co-host that with uh, the IEQGA president, Don Weeks. And again, our guest this uh, this month is Dr. David Krause. It'll be a great show. 